One time I got a call from one of the hotels, and they're like, Mr. Brooks, hate to bother you at this at this hour, uh, but one of your guests is in the lobby right now, and um, her balls are showing from her mini skirt, and there's children in the lobby, and um, do you mind... I feel it's like it's inappropriate for me to say anything. Do you mind maybe calling them? And <laughs> so I had to get on the phone and be like, "Hey, naughty girl, um, can your your balls are actually visible? Can you please get underwear and put them on?" Oh, I don't have any underwear. Well, can you change clothes? This is literally the only skirt that I brought. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we're going shopping. Where do you take naughty girl? It was before Forever 21, I think, but the equivalent of something. TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx or Marshalls got all of our wardrobe there. And then Forever 21 came around eventually, but in the beginning, it was all TJ Maxx and Marshalls. All right, before you ask, this episode is not sponsored by Marshalls, TJ Maxx, or Forever 21, despite my best efforts. What you just heard was today's guest, Jesse Brooks, talking about his experience on The Jerry Springer Show, where he was a producer. My name is Adam Klaus, and this is my podcast, So You Work in Entertainment. The podcast where I talk to people who do different jobs in the entertainment industry about what their jobs entail, how they got into them, and what they like and don't like about it. I just find out more about these careers that are like shadow careers that were never presented as an option to me as a child. But I'm not going to make this about my childhood. This is about Jesse Brooks, and I take you to our conversation now. How's it going, Jesse? Real nice. nice. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you work in entertainment? Uh, I do. I, uh, I'm a production manager and assistant director. Okay. Production manager and assistant director. I feel like I understand what those titles mean. How did you get into that? Um, accidentally. I um, kind of fell into a job in television. Uh, via trying to find a way to Chicago. Um, I, I worked with a band that um, I had worked with in Columbus who had moved to Chicago, and I was trying to get a job there. And it just so happened that you know nepotism reared its ugly head, and my, my mother was friends with Jerry Springer's publicist. And she was able to get me a job as a production assistant when the crew came through uh, filming the Steve Wilkos uh, pilot, who was the big bald security guard from the Springer show. Yeah, he was the spinoff. Yeah, exactly. Who still has a show to this day. Wow. Um, But this was the pilot back before they knew what they were going to do with that show. And it came to Columbus, and I was lucky enough to get a job as a production assistant and basically uh, wrangle wrangle people to come to the events and, and show the crew around town and... Uh, ended up becoming friends with the producer and wiggled my way into a job in the show um, and came out to Chicago without a start date and just kind of floated from place to place and kind of waited for it to happen. And then all of a sudden I got the call that I started on Monday and uh, I was off to the races. Wait, so how long was that time period in there of like not knowing if you were on or not? Uh, so I got hired, I think the it was it was over the course of about six months. And I was told that I would start around September 3rd. So I got out there around September 3rd. But my boss, who had hired me, was out of the country and not replying to emails or calls. Or It, it was very touch and go for a minute there. I kind of thought that I was being catfished before that was even a term. This was <laughs> 2003, you know. Uh, and then all of a sudden, everything came together. And I got the call, and I started the job. And uh, I've been in TV ever since in one capacity or another. Nice. So, do you have a thing for dates? You just said September third, and that seems a crazy. No, that was no, that was just completely coincidental. Um, 
And I actually, I, I digress. I, I didn't even mention the, the, the first TV job I had. That's how I got into TV production. When I was in middle school, I was on a show called uh, Kids News Network, which was our lo- local Columbus, Ohio, CBS affiliates, Saturday morning show. And I was a news correspondent uh, in the field and behind the news anchor desk. Do you remember any of the stories you reported yeah, on? Yeah, I actually do. The, the very first one I ever did was my favorite. Um, I was a traveling correspondent, and I went to all of the uh, water parks in the central Ohio and greater central Ohio area and raided them all. I got to ride water slides on the news and then uh, report back on which one was the best. That's awesome. What's uh, your What's your uh, recommendation if you're in, in need of a water park? In I would say... Ohio? Go to the beach, the beach right outside of Kings Island. That's that's the monster park right there. Okay. But keep in mind, this was a very long time ago. They may have made some updates. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know if the beach is still a thing. But oh, all right. if it is, go there. Yeah, we'll be careful shout though. out be safe. to the beach if it is still around. So from there, from middle school then, did you get like an internship in high school working in TV through that? or No, not at all. I completely abandoned my TV dreams for, for the duration of high school. Uh, actually, just recently, I moved into a new house, and I was going through all my old stuff, and I found uh, a high school passport that was my letter to myself, like senior year, that was with my diploma and everything. And it was basically a mission statement about how I was going to end up in television production. And I completely forgot about writing this. It just was something that I came across and it really gave me a little pat on the back like, okay, you're doing doing what you're supposed to. That's awesome. Because I need that little pat on the back sometimes because this is a rough industry. Yeah, I imagine. So now what you do is... Do you want to start where you are now and work back, or is it where do we go from eighth grade? I'll give you the, the shortened version. I, I worked at the Jerry Springer Show for, give or take, five seasons on and off as a PA, AP, producer, um, travel coordinator, all over the place with them, and the Steve Wilco Show when it became a show, and um, went through a lot of ups and downs there. Had the summers off, which was great. Um, experiences in the Springer show are a whole different podcast and I signed a lot of NDAs so I don't know how deep I can get on those sure sure but it was a wild time um, so after that I'd finally had enough and moved out to LA luckily my contact uh, who I had worked at Springer with who gave me the, the shot uh, the shot there had moved to LA since and was able to get me on uh, a job on Chris Angel Mind Freak Wow. Uh, so I did, I coordinated that in 2006. And what does that entail? Uh, production coordinating. Uh, basically, production assistant is the lowest rung on the totem pole. They're the most important people on the show, but they get the least credit. Uh, the PAs make the show happen, and I cannot say enough good things about a good PA. They, they can really make or break a show. But the job sucks, and you don't want to do it. Uh, so you want to do a really good job and show someone that you can do the next job and get promoted out of that as quickly as possible, which is production coordinator. And how long does it typically take to kind of cut your teeth as a PA and move on? Uh, it depends on the person and um, how willing they are to to be receptive to people around them. It also uh, it's, it circles back to you know favoritism. Like if, if you really like someone and you like being around them, you can that that goes a lot further or not further but just as far as people being good at their jobs sometimes um in this industry and i'm sure as well as others um but yeah people can you know typically be if you're working as a pa for more than a year you're doing it you're you're taking too long you should probably move on for after that but also you know don't give up if it's if you've worked on one uh, one show for a whole year 
but it's only one show, maybe you need to do another show before you can move on to the next one, you know? Um, it's all dependent on what kind of experience you're getting and who you're surrounded by. Gotcha. So, and what kind of pay are we talking, like, in general for a PA? Oh, PA pay is generally, now it's a, it's $199.50 for a 12-hour shift. Okay. Uh, which breaks down to, uh, they have to do it hourly. So there's, you know, you get an eight-hour day plus four hours of overtime every day. So it's really hard for production assistants to, to know if pr- production companies are actually paying them what they're supposed to. Uh, the way that the rate structures are, but uh, it's generally on the up and up. So it's because it's billed as that one ninety nine <clears throat> figure um, over twelve hours. But over that twelve includes hour. the four hours of overtime, which would be what time and a half. Yeah, time and a half exactly. Okay. So it's eight hours of regular time plus four of time and a half every single day that they work. Because you're on a twelve hour shift, which is one of the reasons that TV production is rough. Sure, you're yeah. pretty much guaranteed unless you get on a show that works tens or you know has its shit together, uh, you're, you're pretty much going to be on a 12-hour day. Expect to be on a 12-hour day. Gotcha. Yeah, that really ties things up. Like if you would have, like a, if you wanted to do a class or something at night, you would just have no idea if you're ever available. Yeah, it's very life-consuming. Um, it's very life-consuming for sure. And depending on what kind of shows you do, you know, I particularly work on travel shows and uh, I'm, you know, just on the road all the time. How does that work? Is that like just the the network that you got into or people who do travel shows or is that something that you prefer? Well, what happened was uh, Los Angeles started making it very cost prohibitive to shoot here. Um, they, they, first of all, other uh, areas were starting to offer tax incentives to draw business away from Los Angeles. In the meantime, Los Angeles was also enhancing their restrictions um, and and regulations and permit fees and um, making it really complicated to shoot here uh, because, in my opinion, I think that they know that a lot of companies have to shoot here because yeah. this is where everyone's based. So they're gonna get the big studios to continue to pay that. But you know, the the little guys, the unscripted television and the you know the cable shows have to go elsewhere because they can't. You know, it's just insane. The the, the budgets to shoot in LA are just crazy. Do you have like a, a ballpark figure if it's like generally 50% more or? Oh, I mean, you know, it's it's very case dependent. I, I can give you an example of something that I've dealt with in the last couple of weeks where we, uh, we did a shoot in North Hollywood that required a drone shot. But this drone shot was nothing crazy. It was literally a jib shot, which is, you know, a, um, a camera, camera crane angle, basically uh, the, the jib. Yeah, it's a jib shot. Yeah, the yeah. drone acts as, as the jib. The drone flies up in the air and you know doesn't go over thirty feet. And at thirty feet, it then goes back down. And that that's the shot. That's everything we needed. Well, in order to get that permit, we required two fire safety officers, a thousand dollar rider, like a week's notice in advance to make this happen. And wow. uh, it and it, it's just every single thing that you have to do in L.A. is like that. There's there's no more just driving around and deciding to you know pop off a driving shot there it's it's very very restrictive what are the penalties if you're like ah eh, we're just not going to play by the rules on this one you know i've never actually uh encountered anyone that's had that situation um most of the time i mean all of the time when i'm in charge i i just err on the side of caution my job is is basically to prepare for the worst case scenario always 
Um, and so whenever there's a, a permit involved and we don't have it, I just err on the side of, you know, if I hear about it, it can't happen. Sure. But, you know, sometimes people go rogue and they'll try to get stuff and they might get away with it then, but there's always the chance, too, that way down the line, someone's going to see that in perpetuity while it's in syndication and for some reason have a bone to pick with someone on the production or the company and, you know, retroactively could really cause quite a stink for them. It seems like the city just knows what they have and they're like, well, if you want to do it, you have to pay. Yeah. It all comes back to money. All right, so you did the pilot for the Steve Wilkos, and that led to Jerry Springer? Yeah, so the producer that was uh, producing the Steve Wilkos pilot was primarily a Jerry Springer producer. And um, so when I got started on the show, it was under the pretense of Steve Wilkos' show. So what the Steve Wilkos' show was at that time was a very heartwarming, endearing, um, charitable event where... what. So Steve um, worked at the Waffle House for a shift while this woman, whose son had cerebral palsy, who was a waitress at the Waffle, Waffle House, um, took her son out for a beautiful day at the zoo that the show paid for. And Steve dressed up in Waffle House gear, and uh, which I still have for some reason in a storage unit somewhere. That's awesome. Um, he dressed up in Waffle House gear and collected tips as he was was a server all day, and we filmed it for the show. And people came from all over the place to you know contribute tips. And then when she got back, the reward was you know also we had bought you this amazing handicap van to transport your son's wheelchair, which they didn't have access to. So it was super heartwarming, lots of tears. That's really rewarding <clears throat> stuff to get to work with. It was it was incredible. It was such a great introduction into television and, and I really thought, you know, okay, so Steve Wilco's show is going to be a whole different thing. I could get behind this. You know, Springer's a little weird, but I could get behind this. And then I get there and <laughs> apparently that didn't test very well because now um, we have the phone lines open for Steve Wilco's calls. So everyone had seen this and they're calling in completely desperate and I have to be like, oh, we're not doing that show right now, but do you have anyone that's uh that that's that's fighting over an ex lover? Wow! Yeah, so that was quite an introduction into television. It was it was boot camp, um, it, worse than boot camp. It was it was insane. Do you uh, know where that decision gets made? Like, what did you have any idea in this case of it? Like, oh, it went to the executives at this level, and they were like, oh, we like this guy, but we don't like this concept, or were they like? We already have this deal with you in place for something, but we have to I mean, it. I think at that point, it was kind of right on the tail of when um, all the fighting had gotten taken off Springer for a while, and it was in, you know, Chicago City Council was debating over whether, you know, there was, it was a very volatile show for a long time, and they were trying to kind of throw things at the wall and see if they had an out or another avenue to take their talent um, to produce content. And as far as who decided to put the kibosh on it, I mean, there's so many different people and entities that have have play in that. I mean, it could have not tested well. Maybe Steve didn't like it. You know, sure. maybe um, you know, maybe the advertisers thought it was too hokey. I, I don't know. Um, but it's it it was a very different different thing than the audience likes to watch. I think it was. Um, the audience is actually in those situations, but they don't really, 
I don't think the the broad scope of the people that watched that show were into it. I don't know. I'm just speculating. Well, it seems like that was also maybe like a little early for that type of like, like we hadn't hit this like cable explosion of like now there are 40 shows that I'm sure are about like the extreme home or extreme makeover home edition, but on like another scale. True. Maybe that sounds like that's kind of what that was of just True. like a smaller version of that. <clears throat> yeah, I don't. I just think I think the audience was. Uh, was ready to be a part of it but wasn't ready to watch it gotcha yeah so then you're on springer and i mean you have to have like a couple of anecdotes that you can share. oh man um one time i got a uh i got a call from the hotel so long story short i <laughs> as a production assistant it was my job not only to book these people um and in order to book them i would have to call them back uh from the one eight hundred nine six jerry phone number that they would call in and leave messages so this is before we had caller id or anything this is you know 2003 so we would uh as pas and also the interns who were around would call these voicemail messages and transcribe them on paper write them write down the messages the phone number as they heard it the name and the gist of the message and That's then so old school they would get distributed to producer teams so then the producers could either give them to their associate producers who could give them to their production assistants or sometimes the producers were just like oh, screw you guys i'm just going to book my whole show i don't trust you just depended on what team you were on um, how many teams were there six teams oh wow six teams yeah so it was like competitive within the teams of like trying to build a better show? Um, it wasn't necessarily competitive. It was so sink or swim. I mean, it, obviously when we had a good show, we high-fived and everyone was very excited about it. But there wasn't there wasn't really competition. You know, everyone was kind of – we were like a like – a, in boot camp together you know we were all tied at the waist through this misery of doing what we were doing and you know when we had victories we all celebrated together you know it gotcha. wasn't it, you know yeah I, I didn't really see any competition there was probably some competition amongst the producers themselves um but the team that was booking the stories and and hanging out with the guests no nah, we were all in it together Gotcha. So do you have like a favorite guest? And if at any point this crosses the NDA lines, I certainly don't want to get Jerry Springer on. Oh, no, I don't. Um, I mean, I think this is all fine. But uh, do you have any like are any particular guests or like moments that you were like, wow, even for the Jerry Springer show, this is unreal? Uh, so many, so many. One time this was not show related. This was guest related. The guest stories are my favorite, though. Um, I got a call from the hotel. Uh, I, as I was getting into saying, as a production assistant, it's your job to take these people out and show them a good time. So you have to talk to them on the phone and be like, hey, it's a free trip to Chicago. We're going to buy your cigarettes. We're going to buy your food. And we'll take you out and show you the town. And you say them in those order, in that order, right? Oh, I mean, <laughs> you, you say, yeah, the cigarettes are the most important part for the guests. They really, really liked the free cigarettes thing. <laughs> they could not get over that. Um, but most of them, you know, hadn't flown in airplanes before. So gotcha. It was quite quite a shock to the system for them. Couldn't buy them any booze. That was verboten. Um, they would find their own way to drugs That's and a, alcohol. A company policy or? Oh, I mean, yeah, they're yeah, it's company thing, right? and it's legal, and yeah, you can't yeah, provide yeah. you can't provide any sort of substances to them. Do they, you so they don't get like a cash per diem? Um, no, we would they would get cash for like you know if they had to get a babysitter for the weekend or something, we would throw them like a hundred bucks for that. Gotcha. Um, if they really needed it. But a lot of the times they didn't ask for it. A lot of the times they were just excited to come on the show. 
Um, there was only a few guests I felt like really bad about booking. Most of them were excited to be there. Um, they they knew the gist of it. You know, a lot of them, a lot of it was probably fake, but they they did a good job. They wanted it to be real as much as they could. The stories that were fake w- were so obvious. It was it was blatantly clear. Um, and is that is that the producer pushing that, like telling them in their ear, like, hey, why don't you? No, not at all. One hundred percent not. So the basis of the Springer Show is you want to get real stories every week. You need real stories because they're easy to produce. If you get these fake stories, they're not actors. They're people, sure. they're never actors. I think maybe before my time, like in the 90s at some point, they'd use actors. But by the time that I was on it, no. This is just random people calling into the show. So if you had someone with a fake story, you could poke holes in it. I mean, all we did was talk to people with drama all day. So we knew the questions to ask to figure it out. And, you know, you'd talk to different parties on the phone at different times and, You'd be able to figure out if it was bullshit pretty sure. easily. But sometimes they'd be able to pull it off. And sometimes if it was good enough, I mean, you you would put them on the back burner, way back on the back burner. But if if you didn't have any great stories that came up that were real and, and groundbreaking, you know, you might take a chance on somebody who who maybe, I don't know, I, I, like seems real. Yeah. The show must go on. The show must go on. Six S- episodes a week. That's wow, six episodes a week. Six and what, episodes a week and like four stories per episode. Wow. Yeah. And so and how many days of the week are you filming? Three. Jerry came in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and would do back to back episodes each day. And how long did it take to film an episode? Uh it was real time pretty much. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. They do a live edit live edit. Nice. I'm sorry, it's been a while since I've watched Jerry Springer. But I no, did it's, yeah, for sure. I did definitely like in that um Maybe it was probably in the time when it was like exciting to be watching something like like lewd on TV. Yeah. So that would probably be around like 2000 or so that I was watching Jerry Springer. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. It's great times. And then so from Steve Wilkos, you worked on Steve Wilkos for five seasons, you said? So Steve Wilkos was like the last two years of that. I was on Springer for three seasons and then Steve came around and then I worked as travel coordinator on Steve. Which was nuts. I used to take the the people that were going to be lie detected to the lie detector test. Really? Yeah, as transpo guy, like transpo travel guy. Sure. I would take them in our company navigator to the lie detector test, and they'd be, you know, super confident on the way there, and really scared on the way back. Uh, it was it was quite an interesting experience, and then eventually I just hadn't I couldn't do that world anymore. I just sure had to get out. Yeah, you did your time. I mean, that's a lot yeah. of that's a lot of seasons. And I was so excited and thankful and happy to be there. You know, I didn't I didn't plan on TV. I didn't go to school for TV. I just fell into it. And it what was, did you go to school for? I didn't go to school. Oh, really? No, I was a I was a troublemaker as a high schooler, and uh, I had uh, an offer from my parents to be fully, you know taken care of if I went to school and uh, I felt like I wasn't in a place I was smart enough to know that I wasn't in a place to start school yet um, and I was just taking a year off to kind of figure it out and I ended up getting uh, a job in Columbus that led me to leading to uh, to meeting the band that I started managing and then I got to Chicago from there and then I was in TV and I just kind of I, I cheat coded my way through needing a degree it seems like that's what happens in this industry 
for sure. More than anything else, it's like I was there and they needed somebody and then I was I didn't suck and it just kept on snowballing from there. For sure. Absolutely. I know a lot of people that it's worked out like that for that. And you know, I don't feel like there's anything I could have learned in school that I'm missing now that would have given me a leg up in this business. I mean, this business is really just problem solving. I mean, my my job as production manager is to solve problems as they arise. And uh, I mean, I'm a glorified camp counselor. As long as you know how to keep people happy and follow safety guidelines and make sure everyone has their snacks and their naps on time and, yeah, you know, everything works out. So, yeah, that's, it, it's... It's always amazing to me whenever I'm I'm on a set how you're kind of you're treated like a total idiot. Like it's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that I can sit here and, and be quiet. I understand that you have things going on over there. Like, I get how that works, but it it makes me think like, wow, I wonder who they deal with like on a regular basis. Yeah, in terms of people just like, just not having any clue in terms of like what we're doing here, like how to act in a professional situation like that. I guess. Um, so I can see how, especially with like Steve Wilkos and that style of show, how that is a, a big job to be a wrangler of these people. Oh man. I mean, you'd have to adapt to their personality. We'd have people from all walks of life, all shapes, sizes, and colors. And you, you just, you have to relate to them. And if you don't relate to them and they don't relate to you, then you're going to have a bad time. And so are they. So, sure, you know, it was a, a lot of, um, personality melding. Is there, uh, do you think there's like a specific trait or like a quality that you have that helps you do that? Uh, not necessarily. I, I think that th- it's part of me, but I don't, I don't really know how to discern it as a specific trait. Um, but so you're like kind of a, you're like a chameleon of sorts, right? Of like dealing with the different groups of people. Is that accurate yeah, to say? Yeah, you kind of have to. You kind of have to get along with everybody, um, but also be respected to enough to be able to tell people if you see something's not the vision of the the people who are in charge of the whole thing. Like, you know, I kind of have to monitor, make sure everyone's doing the things they're supposed to. I'm I'm HR, you know. Oh wow. I'm I'm on set HR, um, which is a whole nother element because, as you know, the entertainment industry is a little. A little dicey with the way th- the things people say and can get away with. Yeah, and you know it's it's my job to if you see something say something. So I have to walk a fine line there, which is very very strange job. Yeah, I was just thinking of the like the entertainment industry. How this is one of the only places where it's like, I, yeah, you're too fat for that job. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, point blank. We're gonna tell you as it is, like, or we're maybe even not gonna tell you, and you're gonna hear through a back channel of like people you respect have to tell you then of like, yeah, they said you were too fat for that. Yeah, it's a very, very shallow industry, which makes me thrilled to be in the element that I am, where content has no bearing on my existence for you know ninety nine percent of my job. And you, you were talking before about how you're freelance and the show that you're on currently is extending, but you're not sure about the dates and how that, how that all works. When you get this job, when you agree to do it, do you get a contract for a set number of days and then there's additional potential or how does that work? So it depends on what, it, you know, if you're above the line and you're dealing with agents, um, then yeah, then that's, there's definitely that is in play. Um, what's the? Will you go over the distinction between above the line and below the line? Uh, so above the line is people who are you know executive producers who are who are funding funding the project and get paid 
based on what what it makes in the long run. Below the line are people who get paid for doing their job, and that's the that's the end of their involvement with the project. Gotcha. So where does that shift for you? What's the what's the step from below below the line to above the line? Like what's the job shift uh, to the ladder? To a producer, like a to executive producer level, um, uh, line producer. Line producer is considered above the line in a lot of projects. Gotcha. Um, it's not it's not a hundred percent across the board, but that's that's my boss. That's who I report to as the line producer. I don't know how much you want to talk about the show that you're working on right now. Oh, um, well, it's almost done. It's I think it's got it's got a premiere date, and yeah, I think I can talk about it. Okay, uh, it's a car build show for Discovery Networks called Driven, uh, and it's about Galpin Auto Sports, uh, which is the largest car dealership uh, in California. They sell the most Fords in the world. That's crazy, um, <clears throat> and that's how people know them predominantly. They also do studio vehicle rentals, uh, but being this gigantic company, they also have a customization department. And uh, it features a guy named Dave Shutton, who has been building cars uh, with the best of them for decades. And it, it features him, uh, who has his own building at Galpin. And we follow him as he rehabs cars into their former glory. Show rods and hot rods that were made as one, one-offs um, that kind of gotten forgotten by time. Uh, we take them and restore them to what the original vision uh, for those cars was. And so. are, are you a car guy? Uh, not really. I mean, I appreciate cars, but I'm, I would not call myself a car guy. Gotcha. I'm I've the got same a, way. I've got a turbo in my car and I appreciate it, but you know, that's about as, that's yeah. about as far as it goes. Yeah. I think they look pretty, but then beyond that, like when people start to talk specs, I've made that mistake before of like talking <laughs> yeah. to somebody like, oh man, that's a cool Mustang. And they're like, yeah, it's got a 540 in the four. And yeah, like, exactly. Whoa. I was, you had me at color. I can't go any deeper than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, and you've been on the show for how much? How long? Uh, about four months. About four months. Yeah. And you knew that going into it that it was going to be a four month contract. Yeah. So and, it was supposed to end yesterday. Yeah. And do you have an agent? No. Is no. that when does that happen? I don't know. I've never needed one. I've never been in a situation where I was like, oh man, things would just be better if I had an agent. Gotcha. So and I, you know, I'm not, I'm not in it for the Hollywood side of things, and I also don't live here. That's the other challenging part. Is yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, I don't live in California because, as I was saying, the jobs dried up here. You know, all the sure. tax incentive stuff led everybody to other states and other regions, and so. You know, after having my stuff in a storage unit for multiple years, paying $200 a month for that, I finally realized, like, what am I doing? Um, just throwing money away. Yeah. So then I, I migrated back to Ohio, where I'm from, and just bought a house, and um, I'm, you know, working out of there. My girlfriend lives in Kansas City, so I'm, I'm there as much as I can be. Um, so, you know, L.A. just doesn't, doesn't do it for me anymore. I really enjoyed it while I was here. Sure. How how often in these four months do you go back to Ohio? Um, I went back to Kansas and Ohio over Christmas break. And so, but that was like a that was it. That was like a a standard break that people had, right? Oh yeah. How, um, how long did you guys? take That was for that? two weeks. That was nice. That's pretty standard and typical for the TV industry. Yeah. But um, but it's freelance though, so you're not working. You don't get paid. Sure. Um, this show actually was really nice as well because I'm working for a company that I've worked with for a long time and I, I finally felt like I could make a couple requests and part of that request was to fulfill um, a, a plane ticket that 
I had uh, to Barcelona. My girlfriend and I took a two-week trip to Barcelona in the middle of this trip, too. Oh, wow. Uh, which is unheard of. Um, but I was able to make that work, so that was really nice. Nice. So how long have you worked with this company, then? Um, for five shows over, like, five years, I think. Okay. Not and not back to back to back. I mean, I I do do some shows back to back with them, but you know, it's just job dependent. You know, sometimes they don't have any work for me. Is the pay such that you can like, well, I don't. My show's over, and I'm gonna take a couple months to like loaf around, do whatever I want, and then figure it out in a couple months. Or is it like I need to get stuff lined up? It's my favorite part of the job is being able to just take time off when I want to. Um, it's you know, sometimes you're forced to take more time off than you want to. Sure. Um, but that's just the nature of the beast. And it happens very rarely for me these days in my career. I've, you know, I've got enough work under my belt where stuff comes up pretty frequently. But there was definitely some times when I was a production coordinator, which was you know, the, the step down uh, up from a PA, which is the hardest job. What does that entail? Um, basically, it's different on each show. Sometimes all the coordinator does is book travel if it's a travel show. Sometimes coordinator just does all the paperwork. Um, but coordinator in in the field, on field shoots, in my world, is the catch-all. Um, they're in charge of ordering lunch, which is like the worst thing to have to do on a set. I can imagine. <laughs> it's awful. Uh, you know, some big shows have catering, but on a lot of shows, you have to get everyone's order. Stick a menu in front of their face. And make sure that it's a place that they like, and you know, make sure that they that we have enough time in between shots to for them to order and actually take yeah. a look. It's just so stressful. It's stressful. I do not envy that part of the coordinator's job. But on top of that, they're also, you know, calling places to rent um uh, to rent a a wig or you know trying to find a black BMW for Friday or, you know, that kind of stuff. So essentially for a production coordinator, while the shoot is happening, their job is already done, right? That's like stuff that they line up in advance and then on the day of the no, shoot. No, because the coordinator the coordinator and the the coordinator and the production manager run the PAs in tandem. Um, gotcha. so but basically the coordinator is the production manager's right hand and they have PAs as their right hand. The production manager delegates everything that falls on the production coordinator's plate and then the pr production coordinator then dulls it out to the gotcha. production assistants okay. but there's a lot there's a lot going on yeah it's always amazing to me like this is one of the reasons why i started this podcast it's like anytime you're on a set and there's like 50 people there you're like what do what are all these people doing <laughs> how does everybody have a job here but everybody seems like they're doing something and it's busy it's either that or it's like this person is on their phone and they have nothing. Like they're yeah. they're clearly just like, hey, guard that table. Yeah, <laughs> like which happens a lot, but not on unscripted very often. That's more of a scripted TV sure. show life. What do you, so you've done both scripted and unscripted? Yeah, absolutely. What do you prefer? Um, I prefer unscripted just because it's more free. I'm, I'm able to, to put my hands in more elements of the show. Like when when it's scripted work, you work in your department and you are only allowed to stay in your lane and that's it. Gotcha. Uh, and as production manager and unscripted, you know, I'm dealing with every single element of the show. Like I know what's going on with the lighting that day and you know, I've hired the extra camera guy that we need that, you know, like I, I'm just involved in in elements that I wouldn't 
Inscripted. And Inscripted also, I was working locations department. I was doing locations for features for a while, and I really did not like that. What did that entail? Um, first in, last out, every day um, to open and close the facility. Um, you know, if there's a toilet clog, you get a call. If there's a dog barking up the street, you get a call. It's just is awful. Um, it's constant <clears throat> headaches. Yeah, it's just next. yeah, it's just you're just solving problems with the area that you found. And if there's any problems with any of the anything on the set that day, it's always your fault. And it just wasn't it wasn't fun. I didn't really like it that much. I can understand that, that for sure. I, so it can be fun. Look, like don't get me wrong. If you're a location scout and you can find the locations that they shoot these big movies in and and TV shows, and yeah, that's that's a great job. But to just be locations in the field is pretty rough. How do you get to be a location scout? Do you know? Uh, just by working in the in the locations department, um, you have to be in the union for that. Um, I was non-union. I was started uh, my first job as a production assistant uh, on a movie called The Express, and I was basically the second unit director's the football movie. Yeah, the football movie with okay. Ern- Ernie Davis story. I haven't seen it, but I don't know why that was. Yeah, he was like Syracuse, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, nice. It's very yeah. random. He's first African American Heisman winner. Uh, gotcha for Syracuse. Jim followed in Jim Brown's footsteps. Then died of, uh, uh, what did he die of? He died right before he played his first game as a Cleveland Brown in, in Jim Brown's footsteps. Oh, no, that's tragic. Yeah, it's super tragic. Super tragic movie. Is it a good movie? Yeah, it was. I enjoyed it. I mean, it was, it was a period movie, which was really cool to be around For all sure. of these, you know, 1960s cars and outfits. And, you know, we dressed these football stadiums in Chicago to look like football stadiums from the 60s in new york and that yeah, was it was cool. really cool experience that's awesome i did uh one time when i was in chicago i worked on um uh oh, the name escapes me it was not a great movie but they it was they were filming at the united center and they yeah. had 900 extras and we our whole job was just to go section by section and we sat in the in the section they had a camera on the ice and they filmed us cheering and it would be like low cheering high cheering <laughs> and then it was like silence cool and then you'd move on to the next section and then they just pieced it all together and it was three days that i was there the first two days was 900 people and the third day they brought back i think 200 people or so wow and that's it, fun yeah i mean i was like it was perfect because i knew like uh, i knew what to expect it's like an extra you're like your furniture they have to feed right and, yeah. and so I just brought like a backpack full of books and I was just like hanging out the whole time because they didn't care. You're like way up in the nosebleeds. Yeah, they don't care. And they had uh, they had like inflatable torsos. This guy who started this company, it was for um, the movie Seabiscuit is when okay, it yeah. started. And they do inflatable torsos and they're so they just kind of like pop them in the seat and they would do that maybe like every five chairs so the further back it looked like it was just kind of sparsely populated (laughs) um but this guy's whole business was like yeah i have i have a crew of like three or four people and we just have this giant truck full of amazing torsos and that's a job like that guy's doing great then he's busy yeah he's probably staying busy He's in demand. I mean, every one of those torsos is an inflatable you don't have to feed or pay. Like, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's a huge business. Um, but anyway, that, sorry, I got off on, on a tangent. No, it's all good. That's a cool element. But it was just, it, it, I remember there was a moment when we were there and that like, there was this girl who was like, I can't be back there. I need to be up front. 
Like is she had that notion that the director's going to be like, wait a minute, that one, her, she's the one. Put her. <laughs> we, we just need a lead now. Like A delusional person in Los Angeles? Right. This is in Chicago. So oh, a delusional like, person in Chicago. Yeah, that's a little different. That's true. But like film delusional in Chicago, I feel like it's yeah. different. It's just like more of an understanding about what it is there. It's true. But anyway, um, it was it was really fun to see. And then on the third day, I happened to get called back. I'm willing to to bet it's because they went alphabetical and my last name's Klaus. And they were like, <laughs> all right, first 200 made the cut. But the lady was like, where were, on the third day, they're like, you're walking up the um, to the seats at the United Center. And they're like, where an usher would would stand to tell you where your seats are. There's a lady like telling people to go to the left, which is like in the shot, or go to the right, which is like kind of around it or whatever. And she was like, where were you the last two days when I got up there? And I was like, I was up in the bleachers with the inflatables. And she's like, come here. And she put me right behind the action. It was a Kevin James, um, Vince Vaughn movie back in the days where that would have been like. Are you visible? You're visible on it? Yeah, I was actually in the trailer. I've oh, never wow. seen the movie. <laughs> but it was like, you know, I'm like behind. And the the weird thing was is the kiss cam was on. Like they were just doing it to keep the crowd like in it. And they did the kiss cam with me and like this girl who was like maybe 17, like next to me. We obviously don't Whoa. know each other. Yeah. And this lady ahead of us was like, don't be such a buzzkill with the kiss cam. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm not going to get a charge for trying to honor the kiss cam. Are you out of your mind? Anyway. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, that was that was one of the moments actually when it, because Ron Howard directed it. Okay. I, I wish I remember the name. This is terrible. Wow. Um, no, I don't know the movie. Yeah. I probably would if you said it. I I can't remember what it was. Some like Winona Ryder was in it, and it was, anyway. So from Steve Wilkos, how where where do you go from there? Okay, so from Steve Wilkos, uh, I went out to do um, Chris Angel Mind Freak. Chris Angel, okay, in two thousand six, um, and I coordinated on that show, and um, that was a really wild episode or twenty twenty episode order. Um, it was season two of the show, I believe. Okay, um, and Chris Angel, as you probably know, is a magician. Yes, um, I would say he's an, an illusionist. illusionist. He's an illusionist. Anything. Yeah, he's an illusionist. Um, What's the difference between an illusionist and a magician? Um, I think. You know, I, at one point I had a, uh, an answer for this, but I, I don't remember what the difference is at this point. I think illusionist um, does large prop based. Okay, I'm sure we're pissing off so yeah. many magicians and illusionists <laughs> right now. They're just screaming at their fucking phones. Yeah. I always think of Arrested Development. Anytime like magician comes up, I'm like it's an illusion, Michael. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, that was wild. That was a really cool experience as well. I mean, to be around some of the best illusionists in the world sure. his uh his team was just this amazing group of people like johnny thompson who just passed away a couple months ago who was this vaudeville performer and i guess i would call him a magician from back in the day and then um banachek uh was one of his one of his um advisors as well who's this crazy mentalist who has a long history of tricking people and um you you kind of have to look up Banachek's thing. He's he's kind of the most important person that we worked with, uh, and then Luke Germay, who was a really great illusionist from Britain, um, and then John Farrell, who did all of the set designs and, and illusion building, and they were a really really amazing team. Uh, so it was cool to get to see them work together. 
And that's a team that was assembled for the that, TV show, or that was like his team that he was because he was already doing th- like theaters. And yeah, he was on. already that was his team from from the jump, as far as I'm concerned. And they had already done a season of the show before I was involved, so I think all those people were involved in season one as well. Where did you guys shoot that? Uh, in Las Vegas. Okay. In the uh, in the Aladdin, which is now Planet Hollywood. Oh, interesting. But our production office was in the mall, like right where the casino turns into the shops and we had chris angel's choppers wait like underneath yeah so like you know where there's like the ceiling with the clouds painted on it yep and it turns from the casino into the mall Mm -hmm. i wouldn't really call it underneath it's just in the building um yeah you're right i was thinking of a different casino yeah yeah. but yeah it was right there so all these tourists who were there on vacation and drunk (laughs) would see the chris angel inside this office with all of his crazy bikes and just walk into our production office thinking it was some sort of attraction oh wow uh so that was weird that was a very strange work environment and And how many work on the strip how many people are working in these offices uh 10 i would say 10 or less than 10 eight maybe all right um, and how long were you living in Vegas then with this? Mm, I think I think the show was about six months long. We did twenty episodes. Where did you stay when you were there? Um, most of the crew stayed at the Aladdin, but me and my production manager were forced to stay off property <laughs> in these really crappy apartments, like way off the strip. Such an inconvenience to have to like leave the strip and drive back to our shitty little apartment. Yeah, but we were excited. It was still, you know, we were still new in production. So the the stuff that you'll put up with when you're green is boundless. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> what would you say the like the average like you the, when we talked last weekend you were saying that this is like there aren't a lot of 40 year old people doing what you're doing yes how what does that progression look like for you um that's i'm trying to figure it out honestly i mean it feels like just yesterday i was getting into television and now i'm realizing that my beard is getting grayer and like this is not a young man's this is this is not an old man's game and i have to figure out an exit strategy and i think um, I mean, I, I've got a resume where I'll keep keep being hired, but that's not you know it's not going to continue forever. I know it. What is that process like of you getting hired now today? So with your show coming up, um, with the contract that was supposed to be done yesterday, what are you what are you looking for for the next several months? Well, first things first, hop on Fun Employment, which is freelancer's best friend. And um, just kind of use that to squeak by until the next thing shows up. And, you know, I have four people that I work with that when they get some a new project and they have a production manager hole to fill, I'll be the person they call. Um, so, you know, I wait to hear from them. And I also um, reach out to people I haven't talked to in a while. There's a website called Staff Be Up, uh, which is great for production Gotcha. resources that I use a lot to find my crews when we travel across the country. Okay. Um, but I found a, quite a few jobs from it as well. So, and just to like, so the ladder of this all is clear. You start as a production assistant, you move to a production coordinator. Correct. And then from there, you're production manager? As I was production coordinator, I kind of felt stuff out. I was associate producer for a couple things. I was doing the locations thing. Um, I dabbled in the sound for a minute. Um, 
and then just kind of ended up staying in production because it was comfortable and that's where the jobs were coming. Um, and like I was saying before, content isn't my jam. I don't like a lot of the crap I work on. I mean, it's in that's okay. I don't I don't have to. Yeah. But as a producer, I would feel more compelled to have to care about what's happening. And that would really harsh my mellow in this business. Gotcha. I like being able to worry about the logistics of things and then I'm less susceptible to depression from content. So it's that's interesting because it's like you love the job of it, not necessarily the output. Yeah, I love the I love the experience of it. I love I, I love doing what I do because you know my colleagues are always fun. TV brings a lot of strange folks with good hearts um, who you know in a freelance world you have to be palatable or you're not going to keep working. Sure. You know? So it kind of shakes itself out, and you uh, work with a lot of cool people. But I mean, a lot of the shows that are out there. I mean, whew. yeah, I, uh, I think so many people feel that way. It's like this in California, it's like, well, we make this stuff for, I guess some people enjoy it or whatever. And then you go other places and people were crazy about it. Not to say that there aren't people who love what I would call like shitty TV. I don't mean that in a bad way. No, no, I get it. I but mean, it's like shitty TV is TV. You can just put on and just have on and not have to like write a blog about it the next day and talk to your friends at the water cooler yep. about what happened. It's just like, okay, you want to just watch housewives and just watch housewives. It's yeah. Fine. Sorry, I housewives. Th- I always think I've, I don't think they'll take offense. I always think of the, um, diners, drive-ins and dives. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good example. Like I watch this stuff. I'm like, so it's a fat guy eating a sandwich. Yeah. That's every single episode of this show. But yet I've seen so many of them. Like when that was on, when I when we had cable, I was like, oh, I'll just throw this on. It was just like white noise almost. Yeah, totally. Like, it's like comfort TV. It's like comfort food. It's just, yeah. it's not the best for you. It's not necessarily healthy, but damn, it feels good. Yeah, very easily digestible. Totally. You just don't, you don't have to think about it. That's actually, there's the movie Parasite. Have you seen that? Yes, yeah. It's really good. I, I see. I've tried to to start it, and the first time I I tried it, I was like, I'm not in the mood for subtitles right now. Like that's, <laughs> I'm too invested for that. And then the second time, I forgot that it was subtitles, and I was like, again, we, it's just not <laughs> happening right yet. Got to go see it in the theater. That's the way to do it. Really? Okay. The opening sequence looked cool, I guess, until yeah. the, until people started talking, and then I turned it off but, uh, <laughs> twice. Yeah, twice. <laughs> I'll get there eventually. I'm just kind of a hard sell on a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Who's got time for that? Yeah, I mean, I do actually, but it's like if sometimes I'm even like, who has time for this? Like, I have time, and I don't even have time <laughs> for this. This is insane. Um, all right, so from what, there's got to be something like that. They're like this. You wouldn't think that this would be part of my job, but this is part of my job. Um, so many things. Um, what's a good example of that? I mean, everything basically falls into my lap. Um, If there needs to be a prop, keep in mind this is unscripted. If there needs to be a prop purchased or um, someone picked up, I have to arrange all of that. It it ultimately falls on me if it doesn't happen. Okay. Um, And how much of that is delegated? Well, on the show that I'm on right now, it's myself and one production assistant is the extent of our production team. And how big is your entire crew on the show? Uh, a director of photography, two camera operators, two audio mixers, one camera assistant, two producers. It's like super small, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a pretty typical 
production crew. Usually there's a an, a PA and a production coordinator as well, like an additional PA and a production coordinator in the production world. Um, but this show doesn't really ne- necessarily need it because we're all in one place all the time. We don't travel very much. Gotcha. That's nice, right? Yeah, moving around is what really kills you. Sure. So where's the uh, where's the most fun place that you've gotten to go as a result of your TV career? Oh man, I had uh, I had the fortune of working for National Geographic for a show called The Great Human Race, which was so far the peak of my career as far as getting to do cool shit for work goes. I'm not familiar with this one. <clears throat> well, it only lasted one season. Uh, it featured two survivalists, um, Bill. Dr. William Schindler uh, and and Cat Bigney, um, who are both survivalists with their own expertise levels uh, uh, in different things. Um, Bill Schindler is kind of like a—he's Dr. Jones. I mean, you know, he's Indiana Jones. He's—he's a college professor uh, with a vast knowledge of primatology and and uh, edible nature's edible foraging and foraging. Yeah, and and uh, hafting and arrow making and. He's just a renaissance man when it comes to ancient technology. And um, and then Kat uh, has a bunch of experience um, doing tree living and um, living in the desert without any assistance and just being out in the elements um, and teaching classes and to that effect. So the two of them <clears throat> followed humanity as evolved from primates. So we started in Tanzania um, as and they were, you know, didn't have any tools available to them at all. And then we went to Uganda, and they were allowed to use rocks because that's where humans were in that process of the evolution. Whoa. So we went all the way across the country, or across the world, rather, uh, from Tanzania to Uganda to Ethiopia to Oman to Turkey to Mongolia to I feel like I'm forgetting something. Alaska and Oregon. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty incredible. And how long was this? Uh, it was over the course of almost a year. Wow. Um, it was based out of New York, and we would go to two countries at a time, and then come back and regroup and um, rinse and repeat. And it was incredible. That's like incredible. just an amazing. List oh, Georgia! I forgot Georgia. Oh wow. Which was my favorite place. Go really? To, go to Georgia if you have the opportunity to go anywhere. And people always ask, "What's your favorite place you've been to?" Georgia. That place is sweet. What's what in specific? Uh, it's so basically, it's just it's kind of off the beaten path. People don't realize how safe it is there because it has this history of tumultuous political stuff going on. Um, you know, inside just to Georgia. clarify, you're talking about the country, not Republic, not, uh, yeah, yeah, the Republic yeah. of Georgia. That's right next I didn't, to Russia. I didn't want anybody to think like, "Wow, I didn't realize there's so yeah. much going on in there." No, state. Athens political is the unrest. shit. Yeah. Um, now Georgia is incredible. Um, they have incredible food. Everything's really inexpensive. The landscape is gorgeous. Um, it's just a place that I knew nothing about and left loving and wanted to go back. So when you're shooting this show then, are you do you have a schedule of like Monday through Friday? Or is that like we're here for No, no. Everyone is on a flat rate, um, exempt from hourly, and we're all just there to make it happen. Gotcha. Um and that's pretty typical for a show like that. Sometimes there were shows that uh, I've I've been on shows where everyone's on hourly on, in that situation, and 
it's really challenging to make things work. Sure, I can imagine. But I would always say, if you're a crew member, always go for that hourly. Don't take those weeklies. Yeah. Because you always end up losing. Yeah, for sure. You give a little bit more. I, that's just so fascinating that you got to see the world through this job. Yeah, it's it's been really incredible. And I mean, that's one of the main reasons that I got into this job. I've also been to um, Ireland and England and Australia and the Marshall Islands. Wow. Through TV shows. Do you, when it comes to you as an option, is it... Um... Like you're you're getting this referral, right? That's how you get most of your work. Uh, yeah, re- referrals and um, and staff me up applications. What do you have like a percentage in terms of of like? It's probably seventy percent referrals and thirty percent shots in the dark. Gotcha. What? So after you're done with this show. What's your what's your plan in like the foreseeable future? Um, I don't have one right right now. Um, I've been looking for the next one and it hasn't really popped up on my radar yet. So I'm gonna go back to the Midwest and hang out with my family and friends and uh, regroup and just wait. And I, it used to be such a stressful part of my life that that chapter yeah. of the waiting, but now you just can't let it get to you. You just have to, you know manage your money in a way that you can comfortably live while you wait sure and just wait do you have any advice for anybody who wants to get in to the television industry and maybe doesn't necessarily know what that means um a really good resource if you don't want to just move to la or chicago or new york don't go to chicago there's no work there uh contact your local film office that's that's my biggest uh suggestion Film offices are usually run by very compassionate people who um, are dying to share their interests and love and uh, knowledge of the of the world that they are so deeply involved in. And th- the film office is always one phone call away from you, no matter what state you're in. Sure. Um, and if you're really curious, they'll they'll help you out. They'll you know they'll get you in touch with the production that needs a PA, and you can get your foot in the door. It's so easy to get your foot in the door in TV. I mean, I. I can't tell you how many people that I've given PA jobs that have never had them before, um, just because I I need them all the time. I mean, sure. Um, and and also, like I said before, if you get a job as a PA, stop being a PA as soon as possible. That job sucks. It's very important. Thank you for your service, but stop doing it. And if you have to do it for more than two years. Take a year off of your resume. <laughs> Make it look like so many people will apply to jobs that I post, and they're like, "I've been a PA for fifteen years." Like, no, that's not a good trait. Yeah. Like you, that's not a good trait. That that scares me. Are there people who just really like that? <clears throat> yes. Like, no. Especially in LA, yeah. There's career PAs who are like in their forties and fifties, and and they've only PA'd, and they're only gonna PA, and that's all they want because that's the responsibility level that they're that they're comfortable with. And you know, good on them. Yeah, more. I'm nothing nothing wrong with that. But um, in LA, it's acceptable. But when you see it in other in other places, it's very strange. All right. So, if you weren't doing this, what do you think you would be doing? Um, I have been kicking that around for about the last five years. I'm trying to, trying to figure that out now. I want to start my own company. I'm really trying to figure out, um, either an app or an invention. I actually just <laughs> bought a coding, um, training course on Kickstarter. Interesting. Um, learn to code 2020. 
Um, I, I just, I, I'm trying to find a job that I can do remotely. I just don't want to be a slave to going to, to reporting to set every day. Sure. That's what I want to get away from. And I'm not married to the TV industry. It's not like if I could change gears tomorrow and not miss it. I'd say that now, but that's not really true. Um, I would miss it, but I'm, I'm ready. You're also coming on, you're on the tail end of your contract right now, right? Yeah. Like there's probably a burnout aspect in that. That's yeah, yeah, for sure. A little bit. For sure. What is actually, what does your day look like? So a well, this day. one, see, okay, so this is a bad example of a typical day because this is kind of a dream schedule for a TV show. Um, we're in at 7.30 um, and we're out at 5.30 pretty much every day. That seems ridiculous. Which is, it's a short day. Yeah. It's a very short TV day and it's Monday through Friday. But that's because the person who we're following, that's the hours he works. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, that's, that's changing over the last couple of weeks because we're trying to cram more than we can possibly cram in. Um, but, yeah, we I mean, it's a follow reality show. So we're following his reality. And the reality is that's when he does his work. And there isn't it, it, the reality of this show is set with completely within his work. It's not anything outside of it, right? Uh, no, there's field trips and stuff, but predominantly we're on the Galpin campus gotcha. between the two between the two shops. What? How do shows work? Like um, the one that comes to mind is the Kardashians, where that's like the feel of it is that it's more twenty four seven. Those shows are all produced. They're so. I mean, and shows that I work on now, like the show that I'm working on too, is I just paused because I was thinking, like, is this? It's kind of the same way that we do our show, but it, it's follow reality isn't necessarily follow reality in the sense that you you have an entire crew that's been paid to show up there for the day, and if there's nothing scheduled, um, maybe like in his real day, he's got to wait for paint to dry or something. And he doesn't have much to do. Well, that doesn't work for us. So then we do, we we do have to produce the day into being something like okay. Well, what else can we do that we're waiting on that we need for the show? So maybe we'll go out and do some driving shots right now, or we'll go get some B roll, or we'll you know do the stuff that's not following you. So even if he's not doing things, we still have stuff to do. Kardashians, though, different story. They have an agenda for their day. Like today is going to include a spa trip. And we're going to run into this person on the street and have a little interaction. And then we're going to see this person driving by. So, I mean, they have an outline of what's going to happen in the day. Otherwise, it's too hard to get cameras there and you're going to miss things. And Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, follow reality is follow reality to a certain degree, but it's also produced. Yeah, there's like a little asterisk. For sure, yeah. for sure. And I mean, and that's just how it has to be done. There's, you know, there's nothing right or wrong about that. It's just how you have to make a tv show the only show that's not like that and hasn't been uh in the history of the planet is cops and live pd Those oh my god only two sh real shows ever on the history of television that's I'm it late to the live pd game oh it's so good oh man so good i was watching it the other night and i was like okay it was like uh, i got into a playlist on youtube of like the best of the live pd yeah and it, it was like 20 minutes from wherever in maryland and i was like Oh, all right, like it auto played for the first one. It's like five videos later, and I was like, "What am I doing? I have things to do in the morning, it's and I'm so staying good. up late watching live PD." Amazing, and it's all real. I have a bunch of friends who work on that show, and they post they post the craziest stories about the things that they've seen. And but yeah, it's it's all real. I mean, it's 
That's awesome. It's day in the life stuff. Yeah. Yeah, some of that stuff you're like, this this would have to be real. There's no way that anybody like no one's this good of a writer. No it's kidding, just, they don't exist. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to add? Um, no, I think that's pretty much. I think we covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time. It's it's a very fascinating world, and I think that a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Hopefully, maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, but it's a- there's just. Uh, there's this whole other side of, of entertainment that I think is maybe more entertaining than what's put out and produced. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, my pleasure, Adam. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. All right, there it is. Episode one in the books. I really enjoyed the conversation I had with Jesse Brooks. Super nice guy. Uh, if you want more information, you can go to my website, soyouworkinentertainment.com. Uh, if you like this, leave a review. Tell some friends that you think would maybe be into it. Um, and if you happen to work for TJ Maxx, Marshalls, or Forever 21, please return my calls. I'm actually a pretty nice guy once you get to know me. Got a real opportunity for us. 